Sorry, whole fan. Sorry, do, you not, do you not know your whole history, Elliot? What's going on? Sorry. <laughs> I do more really. Oh. Welcome to episode 14 of the Run of Play podcast, a fresh take on football with no filter, no sensor and no suits. Alongside Cameron, Liam, Abby and myself Elliot today is former England, Tottenham and Derby midfielder Tom Huddleston. We're going to chat to Tom all about the latest football action, his career so far and his plans after time as a footballer. Enjoy! Huddleston, welcome to the Run of Play podcast. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. And it's no secret how excited we all are to get you on the show and chat to you about your career, your future plans um, and everything that comes in between. Um, So after your time at Derby County came to an end, you are now currently without a club. Uh, Is there any update on that? And um, I think we're all quite surprised that you haven't been snapped up yet. Um, There's no definite update at the moment. Um, But waiting for my agent to produce something. Um, there's been a couple of inquiries, but nothing fully concrete that uh, sort of floats my boat type of thing at the moment. So uh, just keeping myself ticking over and waiting for the right opportunity at the moment. How are you finding life not playing football? Because obviously you've always done it. So to have a little break at the minute, is it is it quite tough for you? Yeah, it has been. Um, I think initially, once my contract did finish, the initial part of after that wasn't too bad um, because I was without sounding too cocky I was expecting to be signed and in somewhere before the start of the season Um, so for it to be sort of dragged on an extra three or four months into the season um, it's been disappointing and frustrating coinciding that with the end of lockdown one and lockdown two and whatever (laughs) Um, it's been been a strange time because as you say um, as soon as I left school um, I went into Derby as a sort of even I wasn't professional on paper I was training every day and that was my job from being 16 years of age to being 33 now that's all I've ever known so it's the longest layoff I've ever had so it's quite strange and very frustrating at the moment Hmm. Well, 20, 2020 is shit isn't it really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the worst year ever we're nearly at an end, though. We're nearly at an end, guys. We've made it through, almost. Um, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. But anyway, Tom, before we obviously get to talk to you more about your career, as we will do, um, football is obviously back. We're out of lockdown and there's lots to talk about. Um, and the fans are back at stadiums, obviously, Tier 1, Tier 2. Not so lucky if you're in Tier 3. Um, myself, Elliot and Cam were all so lucky. We actually went to Tottenham the other day. We got lucky in the ballot and... Uh, we went for the North London Derby, which was such a surreal but incredible experience. And we were all so happy to be back. Um, how have you found it? I mean, obviously, you haven't been there this side of lockdown, but before the back end of last season, how did you find it, obviously, going back and not having any fans there? Yeah, it was really strange, to be honest. It felt like almost like some of the pre- random pre-season games that you have to play, um, where there's limited number of fans and I remember one of the friendlies we played just before last season restarted and it was 
the team that played the first half played in like silence or whatever, and the second half they played like fake crowd noise, mm. uh, which was a bit surreal in itself as well. So I think it's excellent to see the fans, even though it's um, small numbers at the moment, um, excellent to see them back in the stadiums. Um, it is pretty strange that they've kept the numbers small but still put everybody in the same stands. Um, <laughs> and I, I thought it would have made more sense if it was a percentage of the capacity. But um, any, anything's better than nothing, I guess, at the minute. Could you um, could you feel like I think when you when you were playing, could you feel a really big difference? Obviously, I know people say like, you know, you lose that edge, or it's you know, it's not quite the same intensity. But especially at the start, when it was like a fairly new thing, playing, you know, league matches that count in front of no one, was it? Could could you sort of feel the games taking like a slightly different shape? Yeah, hundred percent. I think a lot of the teams, and I think even at the beginning of the Premier League season, you saw the teams that rely on the intensity that the fans generate um even just players concentration to an extent as well um mm-hmm. the one that sticks in my mind is this uh, 7-2 when villa beat liverpool yeah and i've said it a few times i think if fans were in the stadium one from the villa point of view if they get free up against liverpool they start getting edgy and sit back a little bit on the other hand if liverpool concede free and there's fans there then they're not conceding anymore and definitely not seven. Um, so I think it can it can relax certain teams a little bit if their fans can be a little bit hostile. But equally, I think Sheffield United are probably the prime example of a team that feed off the energy that the fans give them. And we're seeing that they're stru- really struggling this season. Um, and I think partly that is down to the lack of fans. Definitely for, for Sheffield United, it's been difficult to see. I think, as you were saying there, with the capacity... It did. It did feel like while we were there, like if they opened the the north stand as well as the south stand and did different entrances and stuff like that, there's really little risk there in adding another, you know, two thousand or another, you know, ten thousand if if you if you do it all properly. So, but hopefully it's just a good start and then we can we can move on to to getting bigger numbers it in was, there. It was so typical Spurs though. I just thought that you know how basically the entire game was played at the other end of the pitch to where the fans were. <laughs> we had we had the entire first half where, okay, maybe we didn't dominate, but obviously we scored both the goals that was over the other end. And then the entire second half where we just defended the uh, uh, in the north stand. Um, anyway, yeah, we were very lucky still, though. Speaking of the North London derby, though, um, Tottenham did continue their, their recent run of form, still top of the league. Um, as a player that scored and uh, and won uh, this game before, just how good will will those Spurs players feel, and as good as the fans feel, hopefully? Yeah, they'll be buzzing, um, especially for the two lads up top to uh, both continue their scoring form and both being in my fantasy team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think obviously uh, a lot of the pundits are giving. Um, the tactics and style a bit of criticism but Mourinho's done similar wherever he's been he probably had like Inter Milan he probably had a better squad man for man but they still had to defend as a team and sort of hit teams on the break even at Real Madrid to a certain extent um, with a open checkbook where he could sign whoever he wanted so I think once you get Mourinho in as a club it's basically results orientated you're not too bothered about the style of play and 
as much as everybody loved Pochettino and his excitement and the way that they played, it, it you always almost felt like Tottenham were never going to quite get to the next level with him, um, as exciting as it was. But with Mourinho, you take a bit of that excitement away and it's a results-based business. And as much as people say it's not that enjoyable, I'm sure the lads would rather be winning, playing mm-hmm. a more organised system and be more expansive and not be top of the league. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was going to say, like when you when you talk about that as well, because it, obviously you can have teams like Liverpool and City and whoever who are you know very expensive and have that success. But people saying like it's less you know less exciting for Spurs fans and they won't have, they won't have it when when everyone's back in the stadium. And it's like, well, if you trade a little bit of the if you call it like in game excitement for the excitement of a title race or the excitement and joy that comes with with trophies, for example, um, and the fact that we're still scoring a load of goals as well. I think we're I say we're, I'm, I'm going to say we're <laughs> we're you know what third in the league I think for goals scored at the moment and so it's like mm. it's not it's not dire football like we're getting the goals we need and then I, I think as a fan who's watched us collapse you know before where we've come really close to that brink it's like seeing that period where you're it's then really satisfying just shutting out a team keeping three clean sheets against other big six sides like I don't know about you guys but in my opinion that is that's as exciting than potentially the football as well. 100%. Yeah, I think so, especially with, as you say, with, and there's this phrase of being Spursy and stuff like that, but I think with Mourinho, the players he's brought in, he tweaked a few of the players as well, and the spine of the team's as strong as anything in the league. Obviously, Dyer's moved back to centre-half and almost looks rejuvenated <laughs> back there. Elderverold is an excellent player, as we've seen, but I think Oybjerg and Sissoko, and that's another thing, without being disrespectful to them too, if you've got them two in the middle of the pitch, you're not really going to play like a Man City or they're happy without the ball. They're happy to mm. win it back. Yeah. Let your wingers and your attackers go and do the rest. Whereas some midfielders like a De Bruyne, obviously he wants to get on the ball as much as possible. But I think if it was, say, Harry Winks and Lacelso playing in the midfield, I think Tottenham would naturally play a slightly different way. But... Hoiberg and Sissoko have been a mainstay in the way that Jose wants to play and it's it's working and it's giving extra freedom to Son, Harry Kane and whoever des- he decides to play on the right-hand side. Yeah, you know when you just said then about that um, the idea that like Mourinho might be um, sort of getting dispelling that sort of like Spursy myth or that sort of feeling, is that, obviously, it, I mean, I'm guessing it's probably not, but is that something that you when you were at Spurs, is it, is it like a tangible thing that you feel like you can feel or is it at the club or is it more just a sort of like fan perception because we get close to success? Uh, I think a lot of it's from the outside. I don't think within the squad it was a feeling. Um, but I think a lot of it, especially in my time there, you had sort of seven or eight teams that were in the Premier League since the beginning of it. Um Obviously, Man United, Liverpool, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea were always challenging at the for the title or European trophies. And then you had sort of at the time, say Newcastle, Everton, ourselves. Um, we was always an Aston Villa at the time, a step below. But um, I think because we'd always been there since the inception of the Premier League, uh, and we were probably the best out of the next lot, kind of thing. Um, it was easy for media and pundits to sort of almost jump on the bandwagon kind of thing. Um, Mm. 
like when Everton finished fourth one year, but no one ever really got on their back for not kicking on or stuff like yeah. that. And even in the modern climate, when Conte was at Chelsea and they had a back five, two midfielders sat in front of them, very defence-minded, like he's doing at Inter now, and just relied on sort of Willian, Costa and Hazard on the break, there weren't that much talk about their style of play or, and that won them a title. So, mm. do, do, you think it's a, do you think it's a Jose thing? Because I think that if it was potentially another manager that was doing that at Tottenham, would they be as you know, critical in in the way that he sets the team up. Because, you know, you can't deny the fact that Tottenham are keeping clean sheets. They're top of the league. They've been pretty much outstanding all season. Um, and any games they have slipped up on, they've learned their lesson and they've come back stronger from it. So is it just because it's Jose? Would they would they be like that, whether he was still at United, if he went back to Chelsea or if he was somewhere else? I think he's a large part of it, why the media jump on the bandwagon to try and get a reaction out of him and get a bit of clickbait with the titles and stuff like that. But I think he's he's been around long enough to not let any of that affect him. He's got his game plan. He knows his players inside out now um, after joining halfway through last season. So I think for him, and he, when he's at his best, he makes it like a almost like a siege mentality. So in the change room, no doubt, he'll be, think, he'll be saying to the players, it's basically you 25 players against the rest of the world. So don't listen to any of the outside noise. It's literally us against everyone. Um, mm. And he's been very successful with that in the past. I think um, it is interesting. It'll be interesting with fans in there as well, um, seeing how they react to that. I think with that, with the fans going back to the ground, something I think we sort of have to touch on is um, obviously at the weekend with fans going back uh, to Millwall, um, there was the booing uh, when the fans took a knee. Um, and... I think it just I just really like to sort of understand from your point of view how that feels. I think a lot's been made of, you know, fans not understanding the the actual core messaging of that and that sort of fight for equality and you know yeah. people people not liking that idea and so trying to muddle it with uh, you know other ideas and sort of giving them an excuse to to boo that. As a player, if you were someone who has to, you know, if you're kneeling on that pitch and you hear those boos, what what are your thoughts on it from being sort of inside that ecosystem of football and how how that how that makes you feel? Uh, I think if I'd been involved at the weekend, it would have been almost proving the point to an extent um, yeah. that the, as much as the game itself, the football side of it has moved on, a lot of society hasn't moved on or developed. Um, and it's just ignorance and a lack of education more than anything else. Um, people have been desperate to get back into the stadiums for six or seven months and before the game's even kicked off, that's the first thing that's on people's minds to boo. And even if you don't agree with it, which many people don't with the kneeling, uh, I'm sure you can just stay in silence for 20, 25 seconds or whatever it is. There's yeah. no need to... Obviously, people say we pay our money, we can express in whatever way we want, but surely just remaining silent for 20-odd seconds isn't that much of an issue. I don't know. I don't so, know what what you guys think as well yeah but I just couldn't um, I, I'm not going to say I couldn't believe it because that would be a bit daft in itself because you absolutely can believe it happens but um, yeah what did you think because when it happened I just thought like it, it was it was almost like so tirelessly like predictable yeah you it was shocking it. it was shocking it, you still I still I still saw it and like my heart dropped you know and like it's just not it's not nice to see 
you go you go there to support your team and you support your you know your players and the players on the pitch are showing their solidarity if the players didn't want to do it if the team didn't want to you know do it I know we've had this conversation many times before and you know Les Ferdinand and QPR they they don't go for it and they they go down a different route and that's absolutely fine and you know they they do some incredible work in in other areas but it's you know if your team is showing that solidarity across a message that you you can't argue with you know to just to, to see it the the backlash against it it's just yeah it's very difficult and um but i think the reaction from it is also positive and the other clubs that have come behind i mean even you know spurs game and brighton game and there were there were claps and and people supporting it as well so you can sort of see the the backlash to that ignorance and the hopefully that education will will come now that that has happened as well Q- qpr have actually said they're going to nail this this weekend um yeah, in solidarity with the message they played Millwall tonight, did they? Yeah, it's tonight. But I, I, th- I think there was a bit of back. I think there was a bit of backlash because I think that they said that they were going to link arms with the QPR players, and I think that um, you know, kick it out. And Troy, Troy Townsend, who's also been on the show before, he, I think, said, "Well, that's not the idea. The idea is to kneel, and that is it. Don't." I think he was trying to say, "Don't change it," you know, to fit with what other people don't like to see. You know, you need to keep kneeling. That's that is the message, and I think that. Millwall, I mean, I'll be honest, from looking at teams that probably would have done something like that, Millwall were probably one of the teams that you would expect to. Um, you know, and there was also Colchester and there was also, you know, members of West Ham as well, which for some reason haven't been massively brought to the forefront, but there were talk about them booing as well and they should all be held accountable. But how can you educate? And, and I'm sure it is just a small member of, you know, the particular fans, but how do you educate, you know, those fans, you know, as part of your football club? How do you honestly un- make them understand the difference between something that's political and something that is just human and that's something that people are trying to prove is a human thing and that that's what we shouldn't even be kneeling because it shouldn't even be something that we're even having to do but how do you explain to people who just don't get the difference between the two i think that is off the issue at the moment especially with the sort of blm movement uh, i think some people do see it as political rather than uh, sort of making everyone inclusive and having no uh, differences regardless of race, sex, religion, whatever. Um, I think the excuse for a lot of them, uh, people that boo, would be it's a political movement rather than it's like an inclusive um, type of thing for everybody to feel on an equal playing field. Um, but then for me, I think if you, obviously there's enough cameras in the stadium, get the cameras and see the people that are booing. And then if obviously, especially with limited number of fans in, yeah, everybody, I'm sure everybody's given their addresses and they know exactly which 2000 are in the stadium and you can speak to them people as a football club and just find out the reason for booing. Like no, obviously just nothing can be done about it as in within the law but just find out what their issue is with the kneeling type of thing and Mm. try and get to the root of it that way um it is going to be a long slow process and as we saw at the weekend with the booing it almost seems to be in back to not square one fully but um not far off it yeah last thing i think i want to say on the point is that before we move on is that 
I was really, I don't know if everyone saw, but I was really, really disappointed uh, in Gary Rowett's reaction uh, in his post-match interview. I know he's in a really difficult position. Obviously, he's the manager of Millwall and it's hard to condemn your fans. But actually, is it hard to condemn your fans? You saw Ben Mee do it when the Burnley flew the plane over the top and Gary Rowett was just like, yeah, well, they're not on board with the political message. And it's like, well, you clearly don't get it then, mate, because that's not what it's about. Um, I don't know if anyone saw that. I Not totally really agree with you. Yeah. yeah, totally agree with you. Um, so, yeah, just uh, another thing that's happened this week, and I think it was actually yesterday, or maybe even today. I'm losing track of days. Um, we had Paul Pogba's agent, uh, Mina Raiola, come out and uh, say that Pogba's time at Manchester United is over, which obviously was quite interesting, seeing as he's probably going to play a game tonight in the Champions League um, and, and the Manchester derby as well. So what we wanted to ask Tom is, if that was your agent, <laughs> what would you have... What would you have felt like? Would you feel embarrassed about the timing or would you, I don't know, I suppose you have to put yourself in Pogba's shoes maybe. Yeah, I think with them two, it seems almost a weird relationship. You see them on holiday together and it's almost as if Raiola, well, they're that close that you'd expect that the stuff he says is almost coming from Pogba himself. You wouldn't expect an agent just to randomly sort of say some of the things that he does say. Uh, without the player giving his agreement or it's his suggestion in the first place but it's easier for the agent to say it so it is very strange and I think the morning of a, a massive game that they've got against Leipzig is the timing's horrific um, obviously Fred suspended from the PSG game so they're centre midfielder down as well so he's probably going to have to being the starting eleven, more than likely. Mm. Um, so, again, Solskjaer's got another problem on his hand. And I think if I was a manager, I'd speak to him, try and get a gauge of if it has come from him. Uh, and if it has, I'd just leave him out of the squad, even if it is to the detriment of the team. Um, I think especially at a club the size of Man United, you've got to be seen to be being the most powerful man at the club as Sir Alex Ferguson was for many years. Mm. The pressure it puts we, on it, on Pogba's <laughs> performance, though, tonight is, yeah. is huge. Like, if he has a shocker, we all know, oh, well, he wants to leave. But I guess if he puts on a masterclass, all is forgiven. If he gets him into the Champions League knockout rounds anyway. Well, I, I don't know why you would say it in yeah. when the transfer window's not open as well. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any if sense. If it was that early January, then maybe, or coming to at the end of the season, but... We're only just into December. You'd expect him <laughs> to sort of give it a month or so. Yeah, with about yeah. 20 games this month as yeah. well. <laughs> I, th- I think his masterclass is obviously him just gearing up for the window to open. I mean, he's hardly getting any game time already. So he's, ba- he's just basically putting himself in the shop window, being like, come look at me, come get me as soon as the window opens and, you know, snap me up. But I think he's, I think he's in for a shock. I can't see him just walking into any team, especially the way that Madrid are playing at the minute I don't think that they'll necessarily want to gamble on Pogba when you know for the past three three seasons or so he hasn't done much in my opinion I think he's massively overhyped since he's come to this country I've never really got on the bandwagon myself personally we had we had Fabric that is that is a big claim (laughs) Um, I'm not on the bandwagon he's not consistent enough I don't I don't like people that throw their toys out the pram you play for the club and the the badge on the front is always bigger than the name on the back Mm. yeah quote abby that can be the intro oh, yeah, there we go uh, well, <laughs> we did have um fabrizio romano on a previous podcast saying how kind of strange 
um, Mina Ryder is in the way that he kind of goes about his business. So it, it kind of is a bit like his brand, really, isn't it? It's just like, I suppose it's like trying to promote himself in a way. Maybe Pogba's never even said that, and he's just trying to get some traction on his own brand or something. Yeah, he just he comes out with random statements again, almost like some of the guys um, on the radio stations where they want a reaction yeah. for everybody. Um, yeah, he says something, sees his face plastered over all the papers and social media. Um, yeah, and it is. I think Abby's right though. I am a fan of Pogba, but I don't, as you say, I don't think he's done unbelievably since he's been back at Man United. But Barcelona are in financial crisis so you can rule them out you'd imagine Madrid have got a really either really old squad or very young players um, and then having a great season Bayern Munich is not their type of player so you're probably thinking back to Italy maybe a Juventus again or Inter Milan but I don't think he's Conte's type of player either so the only realistic one you'd guess would be a Juve um, and again does he or, need to be spouting about if it's a play that they've had before he can do his work behind the scenes as an agent and speak to Juve see if they're interested and rather than rile up the Man United fans again or everybody in English football to that matter <laughs> yeah I mean, at the end of the day, we all know money talks, so um, we'll, see, we'll see where he ends up. And I've, I've heard that uh, Rayola takes home such a large percentage of whatever deal he gets done. So um, maybe we should look at what he does in business. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. on to another player who has who has proved himself time and time again um, is Jermaine Defoe. Um, obviously, Tom, you played with him and he played his 800th career game the other night, which is just absolutely mad. Um, and he scored goals wherever he's gone um, and he'll always be a legend of, of, of the game. What was he like to play with? Because I know that your friends on a personal level as well. So what what was he like to 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 play with and him as a person as well? He's even now he must be what age is he? Thirty eight maybe. <laughs> he's, get, he's getting on. Yeah, <laughs> but I think going. people that people that obviously I was there when he was probably uh, what was saying uh, early twenties um, at Tottenham, and he's exactly the same character now as he was then. He's he just loves a football at his feet, um, loves scoring goals, whether that's obviously training or he's still doing it in matches. Um, and he's like, I would say a big kid, but obviously he's not that big. So <laughs> he's like a, a man kid type of thing. He, as I say, he's, he just loves his loves his football, uh, got an obsession with scoring goals. Um, and I think for any, you look at some of the best players ever, um, and a lot of them don't even reach maybe like four or five hundred games. So for him to reach eight hundred games and still going, still looking in as good as condition as he's ever looked, um, it wouldn't be surprising if he's still got the hunger and desire uh, for him to be playing into his forties. So I think it's full credit to him the way he looks after himself off the pitch. Um, it, Scotland, the Scottish league gets a bit of stick, but for him still to be playing in sort of one of the top divisions in whatever country in Europe is full testament to him. Yeah, it's not an easy league to wind down in either, is it? Just getting absolutely hacked to bits every time yeah. you're like trying to go through and go. So. <laughs> and half That's... the games are on AstroTurf as well, which aren't ideal. Yeah. But I think for him as well, it would have been, when he went out to America, I think to Toronto, a lot of people would have thought, oh, he'll do two or three years there, then he'll call it a day. But 
for him to come back, do as well as he did at Sunderland, and then he went to Bournemouth after that, I think. Mm. And then, as I say, a few years later, still going strong at Rangers is full testament to his character uh, and his ability. That mm. the the goal that uh, he scored the other week, where it sort of fell onto his left foot, I think it was one a landmark oh, goal yeah. as well. I I've watched that over and over again. It's just it's so beautiful to watch. Still got it for sure. Is it three hundred? Three hundred goals? Yeah, three hundred goals, and he just plucked it out. Yeah, unbelievable. Mm. Um, and he's also probably going to win a win a title as well. So to ca- cap it off, you know, however much longer he's got, is is one is probably going to win a title too. Um, all right. So Tom, we've already spoken about the biggest talking points um, that's going on in football at the moment, but we really want to talk about you and dive into your career. Um, so I think the perfect place to start um, for, would be your favourite moment of your career so far. Um, uh, probably making my England debut. I think. Um, it was a tough midfield unit to try and get into um, at the time. It was England were very blessed with central midfielders at the time. Uh, but I made my debut out in Qatar. My mum was in the crowd as well, and it was against Brazil, so it was perfect opposition. Um, and my mum got to watch me come on. Um, I think it, I can't remember if it was for Gerard or Barry, uh, but Gerard was my idol growing up. So it was like it might have been. I can't remember who I came on for actually, but to make my debut against a nation like Brazil was perfect. Amazing. When you um, when you talk about the quality of the midfield at the time, obviously, um, and the sort of technical ability in there, one thing that you know everyone rightly praises you for throughout your career so far is that you know, the sort of technique when you're striking the ball, spraying it around the pitch effortlessly. Is that that technique that you've got, is that something that you had to really work hard at? Or is that, obviously you have to work hard at it as a professional footballer, but is it something that came fairly naturally to you when you were younger that you were just able to build on? Or was it something that you that you really had to work at? Um, a bit of both, to be honest. I think even looking back at old, old videos from when I was in the academy at uh, Derby or playing for my district team at like nine or ten years of age I always looked fairly confident and able to strike the ball uh, with both feet but I think a lot of that was probably down to me being a lot taller than all the other kids so where the shorter kids are more concerned about trying to barge somebody off the ball or worrying about the physical side of it I never really had to worry about that so I could just focus on uh, the tech technical side of it and once I was in full time I would always practice even if it's just a simple passing drill as a warm up I would always try and use every part of my foot and on the left side as well Um, and when I speak to younger players now I try and get them to do similar because it's almost such an easy thing if someone had to like pass it 10 yards with their left foot but they wouldn't necessarily try it in a game. So in, in training, if you just practice it slowly and then gradually get the t- technique right and then gradually build up the speed with it, it becomes like second nature in games, to be fair. Uh, and I think a lot of it is achievable for any player, really, with the right mindset and patience to keep working at it. 
I'm gonna go and get a football now and start. <laughs> it's not too late. It's not my... <laughs> yeah. I keep going on about whether I can make it into the England team on every episode we talk about. It's not gonna happen, Elliot. Move on. Um, so, Tom, you've played with some incredible players over your career, like Gerard, as you said, um, uh, Ledley King, Gareth Bale. Um, but is there one that kind of stands out from the crowd for you, or one that I haven't mentioned that maybe we wouldn't think of? When people ask me this, I always, I don't really include any of the England players because I only made four appearances for them, but I would always go back to Berbatov. Um, obviously, Bale and Modric have gone to Madrid and did all right for themselves out there. Um, <laughs> but I think as a signing, when Berber first came in, me being like a bit of a football geek, I'd seen him a lot at Leverkusen already. And just the aura that he gave off, obviously his touch, his finishing ability, uh, just his all-round play, I thought he was was unbelievable at the time. Obviously, Gareth, towards the end of his first stint at Tottenham, was a, a world-beater, and the same with Luca. But I think Berber had that from day one to the day he left, whereas the other two probably struggled a little bit at the beginning, um, went on to do great mm. things. Uh, but for me... It would be them three uh, quite comfortably, but I think Berbatov just for me. Yeah, you were talking about um, perfecting technique in training, but the rumours were always that Berbatov never really did much in training. So do you think <laughs> it was this kind of natural talent? Or did he actually practice and we were all just living on a line? No, I, I think there's a bit of a false perception with him. And I have a story about him when I nearly went on loan to Stoke. Um, so everyone classes him as being lazy or body language and whatever. Um, I went to view an apartment in Manchester and it turned out to be his apartment and he had all the, in the living room, he had like a gym gym section set up and a spinning bike and stuff like that. So I think behind the scenes, he probably was grafting, grafting his socks <laughs> off, um, but just maybe wanted to give off that laid back um, sort of outlook to everybody. Uh, but I think, I think it's a bit of a misconception with him, to be honest. I think one. I think one rumor was that he used to lean up against the goalposts in training, smoking a cigarette. But I don't know where I've got that from, or where anyone would have got. <laughs> you that just from. want that to be Maybe, true. Yeah. Yeah. In my head. In my head. <laughs> he, he was cool enough that it could have been true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the corner as well. I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, another another memorable part of your career, Tom, is um, has to be when you when you grew your hair out for for charity and. You you said oh, I'm, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think I'm I'm somewhere near as well but just because of the lockdown, um, yeah and you said oh until my my next goal I'm not going to cut my hair, um, and it ended up going on for a while. <laughs> Was there a moment where you thought maybe it wouldn't happen? Plenty of plenty of them. Um, <laughs> so I set up initially I had a little jokey bet with my friend, um, <laughs> and then. He was like, oh, you should set it up for charity then if you're going to stick to it, which I did. Mm. Um, I was relatively new to Twitter at the time, so I could almost document it every month with a horrible-looking picture. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the so the initial in injury was meant to keep me out for probably three to four months, they'd said. And I, in my head, I was thinking, right, that's October, November time. I'll be back for March. Gives me eight to ten weeks to try and get back in the team and score a goal and all will be fine for the summer holidays and whatever. And then, yeah, that 
three month injury turned into about 18 months on and off um and then when i got back fit there's a change of manager avb was in didn't really get that much of a run during that season and then i went to hull um and again it took me another six months um at hull but i i think in that game we won six nil but it was nil nil at half time and i already had like three shots hit the post with one of them from a free kick keeper saved a couple and that first part of my first year at Hull I probably had the most shots in the Premier League without scoring a goal because <laughs> I was desperate to get it off but thankfully in the second half it came Did you keep the scissors like like by you at all times just in case? I remember that. I still I, remember the celebration is brilliant Yeah I'd mentioned it to obviously the doctor at Spurs but obviously for that season I was back fit it never happened mm. um so yeah, I mentioned it to the physio. They they've got their little run-on bag with scissors and everything in anyway. So yeah. I think that the little section that got cut cut off got auctioned off as well. To be fair, to and it raised a few quid for the charity as well. So worked out all right. Amazing, amazing thing to do. Now we have uh, a little. Uh... A little another section called Against the Run of Play, uh, which is introduced by uh, Chris Wilder. Against the Run of Play, I get it. Um, <laughs> we're, yeah. Uh, are you ready to, to give it a go? We're going to give you two options. Is it literally uh, quick one, fire round? One word answer. No. One word. Okay. If you want to go into more detail, you can. But I think yeah, one one word as quick as you can. Uh, but we always we always start off nice and easy. But um, the first one is Tottenham or Arsenal. Tottenham. Do you imagine? Good start. Away there, Good start. Yeah, <laughs> we're worried about that. Uh, very topical with the game tonight. But uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Nike or Adidas? Nike. <laughs> Lampard or Gerard? I think we know the answer to this one. Gerard. <laughs> And I think we know the answer to this one as well, but 40-yard screamer or tiki-taka team goal? Uh, 40-yard screamer. Yeah. What was, what was your favourite 40-yard screamer, Tom? Can be yours, can be someone else's. Um, Paul, probably Paul Scholes away at Villa when he in off the Ooh. crossbar. I think that's Absolutely so underrated brilliant. as a goal, but... Yeah, yeah probably that one off the top of my head. If and, and when, maybe... Uh, you were a manager. Uh, suit or tracksuit? On the touch. I'll, I'll have to explain this one because for me, I'd wear tracksuits away from home and a suit at home. That would be my. Oh, okay. You bring <laughs> out for Wembley. Style. Bring out yeah. for Wembley. <laughs> Big games. <laughs> and finally, last minute winner or five nil thrashing? Probably a five nil thrashing. Get yeah, hitting yeah, the long yeah, shots yeah. when it's five. Enjoy the game, Just out of curiosity, just out of curiosity, Tom, what is your favourite goal that you've scored? Um, obviously the Man City one for Spurs. Yeah. Um, but I scored in the semi-finals of the FA Cup for Hull at Wembley against Sheffield United, and it was not a typical one of my goals it was like a couple of one twos and then like me being one on one with a goalkeeper which I'm sure you guys will agree it's a bit of a nosebleed me being the furthest <laughs> player forward um, so yeah I think 
especially the way that game went. They were League One, we were Premier League at the time, and we were 2 1 down at half time. And then I think first five minutes of the second half, we equalised, and then that was to put us 3 2 in front. So, um, uh, yeah, because it was a different goal, probably that one, to be honest. Maybe you want to change your last answer from uh, from 5 0 thrashing to last minute winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that weren't the end of it. We won 5 3 in the end, so there's still a lot more points to come. Sorry, whole fan. Do you, not, do you not know your whole history, Elliot? What's going on? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, I think that's it. I think we can let you go now. So um, thank you so much for coming on. We've really, really appreciated it and enjoyed it. Um, so we hope you have as well. And we haven't kept yeah, you good. too long. Good. No, I'm no glad. Problem. Thanks so much, Tom. No problem. Thanks for that, Take care. Thanks for listening to episode 14 of the Run of Play podcast with Tom Huddleston. It was a pleasure to chat to him about all things football and his career up to this point. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a rating on whichever platform you prefer. You can also follow us on at Run of Play pod on Twitter and Instagram for more content and stay informed as to when new episodes drop. Run of Play will be back very soon with another expert guest, so stay tuned and we will see you soon.